0: So this morning, we are going to continue our series in the book of, anybody know? Esther! All right. You guys have been paying attention. Oh, it's on the screen, though, so I guess you guys had a cheat. You would have known anyway, I have no doubt. So we are starting in the book of Esther. And Esther takes place in the Old Testament, and it follows God's relationship. The Old Testament follows God's relationship with the Israelites, which are the ancestors of Jesus. Now, in Esther, it focuses on a particular group of the Israelites who are living in Persia under King Ahasuerus, or also known as Xerxes. Now, we're at a point in the story where Haman, who is the second in command of Persia, has issued an edict that on a certain date, all of the Jewish people, all of the Israelites, were to be eliminated. And so last week, Pastor Rob took us through the text where Mordecai, who is Queen Esther's cousin and raised her from birth, comes to Esther and says, listen, you are in this position for a reason. You need to do something about this. You need to step up. And so Queen Esther tells Mordecai, look, ask everybody to fast for three days. I'll tell my people to fast. And then after that, I'm going to go see the king about this. And that brings us to chapter 5, where we are going to see Esther approaching the king. So Esther 5, chapter 1. First one. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace and in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand, which is a way of the king showing that she was accepted. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even up to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. And then the king said, bring, bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, what is your wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And then Esther answered, my wish and request is If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleased the king to grant my wish and to fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Which means she'll reveal what her request was. So Esther, she's she's taken the step of faith. See, my grammar is getting better. I'm catching it now. I'm proud of me. All right, so everything's set in motion. Esther has taken the king, has won the king's favor, and he's agreed to come a second night where Esther's gonna make her plea to save her people. But there was a twist that was coming that night that Esther could not have seen coming, a twist that threatened the life of the man that raised her since she was a child and worked to undermine all that she was doing. Let's read about it in verse 9. And Haman went out that day after the feast, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, Mordecai not bowing before Haman, Haman was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and he went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife. Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. But then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come to the feast that she prepared. I am awesome stuff and tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet, all of this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai, that Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all of his friends, godly advice here, said, let a gallows of 50 cubits, 75, 80 feet, be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then joyfully go to the king with the feast. This idea pleased Haman and had the gallows made. So Esther goes to bed that night, possibly thanking God for allowing things to go well with the king and with Haman. Things are in motion She might have been praying and saying, God, I I pray that you will will help me on the second night of the feast, talk to the king about Haman and what he is planning to do to my people. But as she did this, she had no idea what Haman was planning for Mordecai. She had no idea. But God did. God did. Verse six, I mean, uh, chapter six. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found, written how Mordecai, remember this from chapter two, had told about Bigtan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who had guarded the threshold, who had sought out to lay hands to assassinate the king. And the king said, well, what honor or distinction has, has bestowed on Mordecai for doing this? And the king's young men who attended him said, nothing's been done for him. The king was like, well, who's, who's in the court right now? Now, Haman had just entered the court, the king's palace, to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman's here, he's in the court standing And the king said, let Haman come in. So Haman can't sleep. The king can't sleep. Insomnia set in. He's counting sheep, not working. He's listening to relaxing music, not working. He's, you know, taking his herbal tea, not putting him to sleep. Took his violet spray, his essential oils. Nothing's putting him to sleep. Can't do it. So he said, let's read some history. That'll put me right out. And then he finds out that a man who saved his life was never honored. And this was a big deal to the king because back in those days, kings were assassinated frequently. In fact, Xerxes is, va- is eventually assassinated by someone else. And so if someone rats on somebody else that you know, tells you that they're going to try to assassinate, you want to reward that loyalty. It is like the ultimate loyalty program. You want to, like, treat them the best. It's politically foolish not to. So the king wanted to do something about this. I'll paraphrase what happens next. So Haman comes in, and the king says, Haman, if I wanted to honor someone, what would you suggest? Haman, thinking to himself, oh, the king must want to honor me some more. Well, king, thinking of himself, I think you should take... This person, right, and give him your royal robes. Let them wear the robes that you have worn, right? Which big deal, big deal. And let him ride the horse that you have ridden in the past, and then lead this man through the city for everybody just to bask in his glory. Yes, King, this is what should be done for me for this person. Right? <laughs> king sits there. Yes, I like this. I like this. This sounds good. Haman, go find Mordecai, the Jew, and do this for him. <laughs> Say what? You could just see Haman walking in the door to get this guy murdered. He's like, what, go on? Who? And so Haman, he does what the king commands. Gets the robes, gets the horse, leads him through the city. And it says, after it was all over, that Haman went home mourning, covered in shame. And you can just picture this. This is not in the Bible, but I like to think this is what happens. They're fitting Mordecai for the robes. Mordecai says, hey, Haman, what what color do you think looks best? The blue? The purple? Do you think I should try the green? You know, I can see Mordecai just getting up on the horse, and as he's going through the city, seeing Haman, just give him a little wink out of the corner of his eye. Come on, you know. Mordecai, he's human just like the rest of us. We'd all been tempted, or maybe I'm just more sinful than the rest of you. But Haman, he's just covered in absolute shame. All of the queen's strategy and the risk that she took was about to be undone in a way that she could have not seen coming. She had no control over this. She had no chance to intervene. No chance. But it did not matter. Why? The providence of God. The providence of God. This is what I want to talk about today. The providence of God. The way that God directs the flow of human history through ordinary lives of individuals to fulfill his promises, the providence of God. And is that not what we see here? Gives the king a little bout of insomnia. Proverbs says the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, that he turns it wherever he wills. I mean, literally, of all the nights the king could not sleep, it is the night before Mordecai is going to come to have, Haman's going to come to have Mordecai hanged. And of all the pieces of history that could have been read that night, it is the piece where Mordecai had saved the king. You can call it coincidence all you want. I heard a great quote once that coincidence is just God's way of staying anonymous of all the nights. You see, God could see coming what Esther and Mordecai could not. And this is an excellent thing for us to remember, that God can see coming what you can not. In fact, uh, I was listening to a podcast this week and an author and pastor, Steve, uh, Steve Cuff, has this incredible phrase that I absolutely love. And of all the weeks I could have listened to this podcast, it was the week I was preaching this. It's, it's, just, it's perfect. It's perfect. If you can remember this, it'll change the way you see the world. He says that God is with us and God is ahead of us. God is with us and God is ahead of us. I'm going to say it a third time because I want it to sink in. God is with us, and God is ahead of us. Do you know that this morning? Do you know that God is with you? Do you know that God is ahead of you? He's ahead of you. See, when we understand the providence of God in our lives, it changes everything about how we view and how we interact and most importantly, how we react to this world and what happens to us. The late R.C. Sproul, he wrote this once. He said, the providence of God is our fortress, our shield, and our very great reward. It is what provides courage and perseverance for all of the saints. For everybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You see, without the providence of God, we ask the question of what is going to happen? What could happen? What might come my way? How how may this affect me? But with the providence of God and understanding that, we start to change that question. It's no longer what's going to happen. It's what is God going to do? What question are you asking in your life? I know you all got uncertainty in your life right now. What are you question are you asking? Are you asking right now in that question, man, what's gonna happen? What could happen with this? What could happen with this? Are you unfolding all those possibilities or are you asking the question, what is God going to do? Not only does it change the question that we're asking, it changes what we start to look for. We start to look around to see what God might be doing. It gives us hope. It gives us encouragement. And not just hope and encouragement in like the big miracles, the big moves of God, but in the little moments of life that we would normally not give two thoughts to. I would imagine many of us who put our faith in Christ, if you, if you look back over your life, you will surely see all kinds of seemingly mundane and insignificant events that became life-changing pivot points for you. That phone call out of the blue, that chance meeting with somebody that you never saw coming, the the -the off-the-cuff comment that somebody made, the decision that at the time seemed to have no great importance And at the time, all of these, they seemed so insignificant, and yet they became very significant and powerfully redemptive in your life. They were God's anonymous moments, moments that he used to change your life forever. God is with you, and God is also ahead of you. Amen, church. I remember back when I was uh, in my early 20s, I was sitting, lived in uh, Everett, Washington. I was sitting in my apartment. I was going through my email. It was one of those days where I had a lot to do, but I didn't feel like doing anything. I wasn't in college at the time. I was just sitting there. And so this link comes up for an online Christian dating site. This is back when they were brand new, brand, now they're a dime a dozen. You know, Some of you might've met your significant other that way, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I'll check it out because it was better than doing the work that I needed to do that day. So I got on there and I happened to run across like this third ad for somebody, this girl who went to the university that I was going to. And I was taking a break at that time, trying to earn a little bit more money. And so I messenger and, and, uh, and I didn't think about it. I always thought this online dating stuff was for quacks at the time. Right. And, and, uh, I've changed my mind severely since then realized God can use anything. And, uh, and so we went on a couple dates. I, I took her to Denny's because, you know, I like to, you know, do the high life. I like to roll big. And, uh, and then one night I'm talking to her on my phone, you know, and, and, and we had a nice time together, but, you know, some people you click with, you don't. It was, she was more like hanging out with my sister. Anyway, no, and so it, it wasn't really firing that way, but I was talking to her one night on the phone, and she hands me off to her best friend, and we talked for a good three hours, and that ended up being Maria. And, uh, And then I, you know, through another series of little events, Maria and I end up going on a date, and here we are 17 years later. Man, who knew that the moment I clicked on that little link in my Gmail account, just the stupid little link, that it would lead me to the perfect woman that God had designed for me in ministry knowing that if I was ever going to serve as a pastor, that if I was ever going to be able to teach people the word of God, that Maria was the exact person I needed to love and to help mold me, to partner with me in ministry. Just, he had it all planned out. Never in that moment would I ever understood just clicking that, 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 that one little link would have led to me meeting the love of my life. God is with you, but he is also ahead of you. And this means that the... The details of our lives have a much greater depth than we can possibly fathom. A greater significance than we can hope for. And this is why, you know, coming together and worshiping is so important because it reminds us of these things. It opened our eyes to start to to looking for these things. I mean, in, in everything, God can be moving. Even in a sleepless night, God can have Purpose. Every day, you go to get your coffee, you go to school, you get on a Zoom meeting, whatever, whatever you're doing every day with God can be filled with divine appointments that are meant to change your life or the life of somebody else forever. Isn't that cool? Think about it. There's nothing, there's literally nothing that you do in your life that could be excluded from being a divine moment where God's about to line up the process for something greater. Nothing. And when you embrace that and you take it in and you keep your, your, your eyes on Christ, it changes how you see the world. It gets you excited about life. It takes you, even from the mundane, some of you, you know, especially if you have young kids, you live in this groundhog day. Where does the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes, and, and we felt like this a lot with COVID, where it's just this rotating, especially if you're stuck at home, this, this mundane groundhog day of over and the same thing, over and over and over. And it can just wear you down. It can take the joy and the excitement out of life. But with God, even in the mundane groundhog day of life, God could be doing something, setting something up. I mean, who knows something that's happened to you this past week that you haven't thought twice about is God setting something up. I mean, what today? When you guys leave here and you start driving home, what pivotal moment that God might be lighting up? What phone call or text or email you're going to answer that God might be ordaining something greater through? Man, it makes me wonder what circumstances is he lining up in your life and in my life that we can't see right now, but he can. God holds all the cards. This is why as Christians, we should never be overcome with fear. No matter the political landscape, no matter what the pandemic, God holds all the cards and he knows when to play them. He knows how they're going to come up in the deck. And you know what that means? It means that sometimes, even though it can be hard to accept, the disappointments of your life, the closed doors of your life, the struggles of your life, It means those situations might be God starting to work in an ever so subtle way to work out his plan in your life. Hmm? me? Hmm. That's right. It changes how you see your life when you think about the possibility of God, how it could be working through every situation in your life. You know, and it makes me think about the times where we become bitter with life. Like there might be cards in your life that you think God should have played for you that he hasn't. There are prayers that you have prayed that he has not answered, that he should have. There's things in your life that should have taken place that haven't, and and it's frustrating. I mean, think about Mordecai. Back in chapter 2, He saves the king from an assassination and literally nothing is done for him. Nothing. No reward, no plaque, no robe, no horse, no gift certificate to Denny's. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Looking now ahead of time, you have to ask the question, did God hold back the honor Mordecai was supposed to receive on purpose? I mean, if he would have received that praise and honor years ago, and it was years ago, would it be so far gone from the king's mind that when Haman came in in the morning to ask to have Mordecai hanged, that the king wouldn't thought twice about it? We've seen how easily manipulated the king has been. Sometimes we get so bitter in our lives. So bitter because we're not given what we believe we deserve. Some of you might be wrestling with that bitterness right now. Your heart has grown hard because you in your life, with your family, with your job, and with God, whatever you believe, you have not been given what you deserve. The story of Esther reminds us that the providence of God sometimes holds things back because God wants to use them later for a greater purpose. I must say this again. Think about it in terms of your own life. The story of Esther reminds us that the providence of God sometimes holds things back because God wants to use them later for a greater purpose. And when you understand this, what it does is it gives you patience and humility in the times where you cannot see what God is doing. Have you ever just felt like that? Like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? I believe in you, but where are you? Now we've all felt that way. In fact, I remember Peter, John 13, Jesus, the night that Jesus is betrayed, he's washing Peter's feet. And Peter's like, what are you doing, Lord? Jesus says to Peter, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. This is the kind of faith that God is calling you and I to have. If we proclaim to follow Christ, this is the kind of faith we must have. That even though we don't understand why God is allowing something or he's not doing something, that one day we will understand what he was doing. And that is enough for us. Even when things look bad. Bad things always look bad when you are within the story. They always look bad. They can even look unredeemable in the story. But know this, and you see it time and time again in the Bible. And ultimately, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, that God has a plan to use even the bad things in this world for good. Well, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know for those who love God, He works all things together for those who love Him. Right? For those who are called according to His purpose. I asked Spencer if I could share his story. Our one of our uh, incredible drummers over a year, year and a half ago, he, he lost his job, right? Not for anything that he did, at least not for anything that was proved in court, but he lost his job, right? <laughs> and then, why he is out of a job, not able to find another job, because it was right as the pandemic was hitting, he got diagnosed with cancer. Talk about a one-two gut punch. Now, praise God, through doctors and, and, and the medical wonders of our world, he, he's, his cancer has been taken care of, and he's healed from that. But he was sitting here, as, as his drum set, and it was a few weeks ago or a month ago, and, he, and, he, and I don't remember how he got on it, but he said, you know what? He goes, man, I realized that if I had never lost my job, I would have never went to the doctor and found out about my cancer until it was too late. I would have just kept working day in and day out. I never would have went. I never would have went. And it is amazing in our lives to take something bad, like a job loss, to lose his income, his security in the man pandemic, and that's what ultimately saved his life. That changes your perspective of the world. I wonder what bad thing that you are going through now that God is using ultimately to save you. And listen, and, and, and for him, it happened pretty quick. He actually just, you know, you know, can I say that you got a new position? I guess I just did, right? I didn't. So, right, you know? So he just got a new awesome position with a, a huge ministry. I'm so excited for him. But it doesn't even always happen that fast, right? It doesn't always happen that fast. I mean, you look at the events of Esther. When we read Esther, it takes like, I don't know, it takes what, 20 minutes to read Esther maybe? And so it makes you feel like it happened, like boom, 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 boom. And then when we don't say boom, boom, boom in our lives, we're like, well, this must not apply to us. But it went over many, many years these events unfolded. Many years. God's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry. He's not frantically rushing around trying to accomplish everything that he has going on. You know, see, we 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 often want God to be like a microwave. We want a high speed just zap, nuke it, warm it up, and serve it to us. Right? But God's more like a He's like a crock pot kind of God, right? He lets things just slow cook. And then ding ding ding, the bell goes off right at the perfect time. God is always with us, and he's always ahead of us. And here's the cool thing. Even when we do wrong, even when we sin, even when we walk away with God, his providence is still there. Remember how this all started. Haman got promoted, right? To second in command. And the king says, I want everybody to honor Haman. And so Haman's marching around in his robes and his horse, you know, right? You know, strutting his stuff, but Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. He wouldn't do it. Now, when Mordecai was asked, why would you bow to Haman, dude? You're going to get in trouble. He goes, I'm a Jew. Now, this could have meant I don't bow to Haman because I think it's an act of worship. Could have been that. However, we don't know that because we see in the Bible and outside of the Bible, Jews bowing to people out of a manner of respect. So it could have also been, I ain't bowing to Haman because he's an Amalekite. And the Israelites and Amalekites have a nasty little history with each other. This guy's a pompous, you know, I'm not bowing to him. We don't know. Now, if if it was the second one, if it was pride, we don't know. Did that eliminate God's providence? No, God still worked through it. We are not important enough to mess up the providence of God. And we worry about our lives and the mistakes that we made as if we're big enough to trump God. Oh, I did this. I've done this, God has done with me. This is all gonna fall apart. This is what we do. We have this internal conversation with ourselves. Now, there are consequences for your sin. Make no mistake. But they can, it, they're not consequences that, can, uh, that are irredeemable, that somehow trump the providence and the plan of God. He will even use your sin and your mistakes to fulfill his promises. Someone needs to hear that today. God's promises are bigger than your sins. They're not dependent upon you. God is with you, and God is ahead of you. Now, what do I want you to do with all of this? What do I want to do with this understanding of the province of God? I I, I wanted to encourage you but the ultimate goal is for it not to just encourage you and to give you a warm, gentle, glowing feeling in your heart of God's love for you, okay? Okay, it's to lead you to action, to lead you to be somebody who steps out in faith, who is willing to do the next right thing according to God's word and his spirit without knowing what's coming your way. That is is somebody who believes in the promise of God. It doesn't matter how much you talk about it if you're not willing to take those steps of faith or those steps of obedience. My goal is that when you read something in the word of God and he puts it on your heart, that you do it. In Romans 8, an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and he says, look, get up and go south on that road that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. Philip did it. He didn't tell him why, he just went. What happens? He ends up leading leading a eunuch to to salvation. What if Philip would have never went? Like, okay, God, I'm gonna go, if you just let me know why I'm going, just, just tell me, and then I will take the step of faith. Then I will do the right thing he would have missed out on seeing God's providence for his life. He would have missed out on being a part of God's plan. You see, we all come to these moments in our lives where we believe that God is something calling us to do. We read it in the Bible. It it could be to to start doing something. It It could be to stop sinning in a certain way. Any number of things that the Bible tells us to do. It could, it could be something that God's resting on our heart and we confirm it in our word and we come to other mature believers and, and they affirm it to us and, and the tug keeps coming on us. It could be a big thing. It could be a little thing. And then now the moment has made, it come where we have to make a choice whether to move forward or not. And this is where if we believe in the providence of God, even though we don't know what's gonna happen when we take that step that we remember that God is with us and that he is ahead of us. You know, it reminds me of uh, any uh, Indiana Jones fans here? Indiana Jones, anybody? We've got a few cool people. All right, great. So in the third movie, uh, the, the, the third of the trilogy, I call it a trilogy because the fourth movie was horrible and I don't count it. Uh, kind of like Rocky Five and the Rocky series should have never been made. It's the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And, and Harrison Ford who plays Indiana Jones. He's going with his dad. It uh, was played by Sean Connery. And, and they're going to search for the Holy Grail. Remember that? And near the end of the movie, they find where the Holy Grail is. And there's these like three obstacles they have to go through. And then, um, and there's this, and when they come to this third obstacle, they get through the first two. He comes to this small opening, right? In this cavern. And it's just, it's just small enough for like his shoulders to get through. And he looks across to the other side and he sees where the path continues. But there's like a, a, just an abyss in between him, a giant pit, nothing there. And he looks down and he's confused because he doesn't know where to go. So he looks in his holy grail in his hands, I mean, in his grail diary, I think it was called, and, and, and he reads that he must jump. You know, and in his way, he's like, This is crazy. Ain't nobody jumped this. And he looks down his diary again and he realizes that he's being called to step out. To take a step. So after steadying his nerves, what does he do? He places a hand over his heart, puts his foot out like this, and he takes the step. And then what happens? His foot hits something, doesn't it? Yeah, it hits a bridge. It hits a bridge. It seems that the first crusaders, when they were there, they built this bridge in such a way that when you come and look straight at it, you can't see it. And because as he got down and he looked at it closer after he stepped in, he could see the bridge all the way across. He would have never seen it, never got to the Holy Grail, if you will, if he did not step out in faith. In the same way, the providence of God is often invisible to us. When God says to take that step, we can't see anything. Now, if we had the right angle, like God did, we would see the bridge going all the way across but we don't. He doesn't give it to us. And you know why he doesn't give it to us? Because we, in our lives, because we're just selfish, sinful people, we always make it about our next objective, getting to our next place that we want to go. But God's objective is for us, not necessarily to get us to where we want to go, but to get us to know him, to depend on him, to follow him, to trust him. And so he doesn't give us the full path. He doesn't give us every step because he doesn't want us looking to that. He wants us to looking to him. But this requires faith. And so my goal for this message is that you will remember that God is with you and that God is ahead of you. And then by his word, that you are willing, though you can't see the bridge, to take that step of faith. Even as Pastor Rob shared last week, it's simple as talking to somebody you believe God is calling you to talk to. And as you do, I have no doubt of the experience of my life and as I read the word by the spirit of God that you will see his providence lay out in your life. May we all be people of faith. Amen, church.